Hi, and welcome to the Handbag Designer 101 podcast with your host, Emily Blumenthal, handbag designer expert and handbag fairy godmother, where we cover everything about handbags from making, marketing, designing, and talking to handbag designers and industry experts about what it takes to make a successful handbag. Welcome, Ashley and Moya of Aja to Handbag Designer 101 podcast. So excited to have you guys. You don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, give thanks. Thank you for having us. (laughs) So let's just dive right in. So Moya, you were in Jamaica. I am. (laughs) On purpose. On purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And Ashley, you're aware that she's in Jamaica, right? I'm aware that she is in Jamaica and I visit as often as I possibly can. (laughs) So this is like some soup to nutshells that we need to dive right in. So are you originally from Jamaica, correct? Yes, I'm originally from Jamaica. I migrated to the States in the early 2000s. And how old were you? I was 12 years old. Ah, so you went to school here. Yes, I went to high school here. I went to university here, hence how I met Ashley. (gasps) And I recently relocated back to Jamaica, specifically (laughs) Kingston, during the pandemic, actually. So it must have been hard for you coming from Jamaica to Brooklyn. Was it Brooklyn? Yes, it was Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Where so you came at twelve, so you were in middle school. I was in middle school, yeah. I was in the final year. I was about to go into the eighth grade. And uh, that's a horrible time to move for anybody because there's <laughs> nothing good that happens uh, in eighth grade. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Anybody who reflects on their eighth grade and said it was a good time, I'm very, as my son says, very sus about them because that is just an ugly time for everybody. So the fact that your family moved and you had to be a new person and you had that lovely accent that probably people weren't so excited as we would be now. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I was definitely made fun of. I was told I came off the banana boat. I mean, all the ugly immigrant jokes you can possibly think of, I got them. You're like, Uh, I just got off a plane, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I had to learn how to quickly, quickly assimilate and adapt to the American, well, I would say Brooklyn, New York way of life the way I present, the way I sound. I had to change a lot because I was a kid and I felt like I didn't know any better. And that was the only way that I was going to fit in and feel loved. And it didn't take me too long because kids and human beings are very adaptable. So Mm -hmm. that I did in a short period of time. So you went to university here, yeah? And that's where you meant the one who's in the box above you right now. (laughs) Yes, Ashley and I, we met at the Fashion Institute of Technology as kind of stumbled into a fashion school. That's fascinating. So you came from Jamaica, went to middle school, high school here, and you had a portfolio ready to go to FIT. What was your portfolio about? No, you didn't have a portfolio? Oh, portfolio. No, 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 no. (laughs) No such thing. Maybe I was a good writer and I wrote a compelling essay and I got into an advertising marketing communications agency. So we're not technically trained designers. So we started from the business side. Fabulous. Those are my favorite kind. That was the essence of my book because when I started, I didn't know a damn thing about design. And I think, in my opinion, it's almost better. Some may disagree because the reverse engineering of trying to determine what's missing on the market, especially coming from your own personal perspective and, you know, diving in that way, I think almost gives you an edge. So, Ashley, what's your story? How did you end up at FIT? And let's go back. Well, I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was born in Illinois. Both of my parents are from Chicago, but I grew up there in Milwaukee. And you didn't want to stay. How? So why? You didn't have a horrible childhood. I think one of the things that really drew me away from Milwaukee was just a love of the arts and wanting to be exposed to creative things, creative people just on a day-to-day basis. So I left Milwaukee, probably not so surprisingly. My parents weren't huge advocates of going to art school or studying fine arts or things outside of like business and engineering, medicine, things like that. So I first 
went to HBCU, a historically Black college in North Carolina called North Carolina A&T for a year and a half. What were you supposed to study? Business. Engineering. (laughs) And that didn't take, huh? No. You know, my father had high hopes of me becoming an engineer, but Uh, I didn't all. Uh, and I really wanted to study something that would at least put me in the middle space between like being an artist, but also being a businesswoman. So I took the business marketing track, but- So you transferred? I transferred to FIT, to the Fashion Institute of Technology. Once I realized that Greensboro was a small Southern town that didn't mm-hmm. have as many professional opportunities as I would have loved. I really fell in love with the idea of working in fashion, but didn't have much context around what that would actually look like. So for me, it was really important to come to a city that was at the center of that industry and really understand what it was that I wanted to get myself into. So that was how I landed at FIT. I kind of tricked my parents into supporting a semester, a gap semester, where I searched for internships. I participated in like an accredited program at FIT called Fashion Shows from Startup to Runway. And I was a dresser backstage and was just blown away by the energy of New York Fashion Week back when it was in the tents and sponsored uh-huh. by my Benz. That's that um, was the good time because then mean, it was all in one spot. And when you were there, you were like, "I am the luckiest person alive." I made it right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think the first fashion show that I ever dressed for was Philip Lim and Louboutin's mm. collaboration fashion show, where everything in the show was a Louboutin red. You're like, I'm not going back ever. Are you crazy? Yeah, no, I'm I'm backstage and Philip Lim is doing an interview like two steps away from me. And I was just like, this is magic. I need to be a part of this. I don't know how, I don't know what, like in what shape, form or fashion, but I just need to be here. So I secretly applied to FIT and got accepted. And Do you know how many people do that though? Because <laughs> no, I mean, I've been teaching there for eight years and the transfer rate there is really high because, and I've spoken to so many of these students and it's like the first year, the first chunk is all to be the parent pleaser or going to the local college or going to study what I was supposed to or going to that big school where my family was expecting or going to an HBCU school where, you know, coming from Milwaukee, I'm sure that was the total opposite. So you're like, I'm going to immerse myself in the total, like, I can feel myself. I'm one of them. And then you're like, you know what? I don't want to be one of them. I want to be myself because this is not me. So it's like these stories to go to FIT, especially for what it is and what it has to offer and that it's a SUNY because as opposed to Prouder Parsons, where like 10 times more expensive, in my opinion, you get the same experience and the FIT experience is everybody works. So the vibe is like everybody has a side gig, side hustle, and you're like behind the eight ball if you don't. Like, what do you do? It's like, I'm a student yeah. and, and, yes. and. Yes. I had a lot of flashes during college. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Moya and I both have very similar experiences where we had multiple internships, we had jobs, and we were also in school. And I feel like at FIT, it really felt like the city was our campus. Yeah. And it was much more affordable than the other options in New York. So that was the main reason why I chose FIT. How did you, when your parents figured out that you were actually there, like what happened? Were they like, (laughs) oh, hell no? Or I I convinced them to support me for the first semester that I was there, basically by comparing the uh, tuition that they were Mm -hmm. spending in North Carolina to the tuition that they would be spending in New York. And that was helpful. Um, But I got a job. And so you paid for school. Like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I got a job. I found an apartment and I just wouldn't leave. So that makes you like 20 by this point? I was 19. 19. (gasps) Wow. So if anything, like the girl from Milwaukee, like was hustling and you can't fight that. Yeah, I was definitely a hustler. I still am a hustler. As you need to be. It forces you to be. (laughs) 100. So what class did you guys meet in? I think it might have been either communications class Mm. or some sort of marketing class. Were you sitting next to each other? Were you partnered oh, up? Weren't. I remember, well, from my recollection, I remember being <laughs> on one side of the room and our professor presented this project, this magazine project that we had to work on. 
and we had to choose our teammates. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at Ashley and I was like, oh, she seems really cool. She's really fly. <laughs> this is the other black girl I want to be paired with. Yeah. <laughs> and we had never spoken before and we just teamed up and the rest is history. <laughs> so what do you remember of her? I mean, it was the same thing. I think it was both like we had girl crushes on each other. Like I I didn't know anyone. I had no friends. I didn't know anyone. I was only meeting people through classes and internships. But, you know, I was pretty quiet when I first got here. And I feel like Moy and I have very similar like energy. We were both coming from different backgrounds, but I feel like we have very similar style at the time. Mm-hmm. I think the both of us used to dress really wacky. Anyway, print them, print them, print all kinds yeah. of hats, need some like crazy accessories going on, platform shoes. Like yeah. we were just like really expressive. So when seeing Moya in class, it was very much like, I think energetically, we are very mm. aligned. <laughs> Creatively, it's- we're very aligned. So who else am I going to do this project with, especially since I didn't know anyone in the class? Right. It was definitely the same exact thing. Like looking around, seeing yep. this girl from across the room and being yep. like, yeah, my person. it's wild you know these class projects because I feel like they are a make or break for you for the semester and then you for like it's so important because knowing how to work with someone else is a skill it is a skill because you have to give as much as you need to listen Mm -hmm. and working with a partner to me, even like marriage, anything, because essentially you're married, like you're work wives. So you need to know how to like know when to give and when to push and recognize like, okay, this might be a 10 in value of importance to her, but to me it's a three. So for this, I'm going to go with her because I know that something that might be a 10 for me, she will then respect. And that is something that is not easy to come by because most partnerships end up in fire, not the good kind. So that's pretty amazing because if you're able to recognize that at 20, at such a tender age where, you know, you're not sure about anything, you've no control over anything, but like that first project could truly dictate that you guys can work together. Yeah. Um, I think you you captured that so well. (laughs) So at this point, You guys are both working. You have this lovely project together. I'm sure you guys did very well because even the practice, the presentation, like that's a whole dance. So you guys were sophomores or juniors at this point. So how did, and I know you guys are probably so used to telling this story that you can ping pong it back and forth, but you're not that old, I can see. So how long from where you were in school to probably getting parallel jobs and then being miserable and then figuring out like, I like this and I like that. And why don't we try this and see what happens? Like talk a little bit about all that because that's the stuff we all want to know. I guess I'll jump in first. So I think while we are working on our class projects in school, outside of school, we're already thinking about all our different like hustles and businesses and creative adventures, ventures that we want to do together. So there were many versions of Aja before Aja became Aja with Ashley and I. What were some of the iterations that you were? Just different ideas. You know, it was jewelry. It was interior design. It was just different mediums of us wanting to creatively express ourselves as collaborators, as partners. And our friendship continued post-FIT. We got our respective jobs in the fashion industry. But What were you doing? Well, while I was in school, I had multiple internships as well. My very, very first internship was actually uh, Kate Spade, New York. While I was at Kate Spade, New York, my bosses were like, you're too cool. You need to get a job at opening ceremony or something. And then I applied and I got a job at opening ceremony. And wow. did, you know, school at night, internship during the week, part-time sales job at opening ceremony on the weekends and few days during the week. So it was a packed schedule. And so that was like my first sort of experience in the fashion business world outside of internships. From there, I went on into the corporate world. I worked with Converse under the Nike umbrella for many years. And then while I transitioned into PR, 
doing PR in art and design and working for Black Frame, mm-hmm. which had really cool clients and interesting projects and took me to our Basel and had lots of like New York Fashion Weeks activations and runway shows. And, you know, so we did that. I did that for a long time. But while all of this is going on, Ashley and I were living together. Um, I was going to ask, (laughs) I was going to ask at what point did you guys move in together? Because clearly this wasn't going to happen unless the two of you could like the end of the week, the two of you sit down like an old married couple, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't want to do this. What are we doing? Yeah, that's exactly it. So while we had our day jobs, we would come home at night, like you just said, and start to work on our dreams as these creative collaborators. I won't monopolize this part of the story, so I'll let you jump in as well, Ashley. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that my side of the story is very similar in that I worked. I was a waitress. That's how I got by in New York for- Wow. Where did you work? <laughs> had a number of different is it like, is it like where didn't I work kind of thing didn't I work it's kind of like where didn't I work when I first got here it was kind of difficult to get a waitressing job because one of the requirements was that you had experience Have waitressing ex- isn't that ironic like you like I'm not a job in New York yeah. without experience in New yeah. York from here but I finally did get a job I worked at a couple of different like barbecue restaurants I worked <laughs> Not to be named, but so many of them. I realized I was meant to be served because I was such a terrible waitress. I ended up costing me more money. And you would think that waitressing would deter me from wanting to be in the hospitality space, but it actually, I have fond memories of working in hospitality and really would Mm -hmm. like to walk into that space in a different way and my future and our future with Aja, but we were both working. So I had my own studio in Harlem and really wanted to move to Brooklyn and finally found an apartment in Brooklyn while I was working in my first full-time job at Eddie Borgo, a jewelry designer who yeah, was yeah. a Yay Vogue Fashion Fund winner back when, <laughs> before the you know, when it mattered to the point where it's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Matters, but you know, it was a really big deal. He was a costume jewelry designer who was getting into like Demi Fine and also bags at the time. And I worked there as my first full-time job coming like straight while I was still in school. I got hired for that job. And then before that internships in PR, I worked with models.com. I worked with another jewelry designer. So accessories has always been the thing. I've always been very interested in accessories over ready to wear. And I was actually poached from Eddie Borgo to join the team at Net-A-Porter. So that really opened up like my understanding of wholesale and advanced designers and what it really took to build like a big business as a designer, as a retailer. While I was at Net-A-Porter, we were really refining our ideas around Aja. This is when we were living together in Brooklyn and we started traveling together, which really was a catalyst for us deciding to make that leap. Traveling together and really just having conversations around how we didn't want to stay in corporate America for much longer. Like we're learning what we felt like we needed to learn and we're reaching like kind of like a, a plateau. plateau. Yeah, it was very much like, okay, I mean, I feel accomplished to an extent. I feel like I'm learning what I need to learn, but I really want to apply these things to my own ideas. And so I I may just interrupt for a second. And I just want to speak to what you've achieved. And I think between the pair of you, it's so important to highlight that. And clearly, I'm going to let you get to it. But that you were thoughtful and smart enough to work and get experience in everything and in all these little facets. And, you know, people say, oh, I did this for 10 years or I waitressed. The value of learning how to interact with people in a transactional yet authentic way is so valuable, so valuable. I mean, I was a great waitress in terms of charming people, but I couldn't, like I dropped things and they always ended up charging me. Like I like burn more merchandise. Like they're like, no, we need to deduct this, this. It was like a break even for the work. It was like getting your in for fun. But in terms of 
all of this, like, okay, so you went to PR and then you were behind the scenes and then you learn retail and the back end and the front end. And even learning that to me, I understand people who are in jewelry, but to me, it's not interesting because uh, the pieces are so, so small that either for costume, you need to sell so much of it to make money, or you need to sell one big piece to make money. And like the gap between is so complicated to hit those customers on a consistent basis. Like you really, really need to kill it for that. So I am so happy to hear that you guys were able to have this meeting of the minds on a vacation, because I'm sure that was the time where you guys were like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to go next? Because I know your brand is historically leather and all that's so different from what you were doing before, mm-hmm. you know, even developing and production and manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, I think as creatives, Moy and I have always been like really interested in material. And when mm. we were thinking about wanted to make and like how we wanted to take up space as creatives in the design world. It was like, what materials do we love? Does it look like for us to apply like our creative ideas to functional product and leather goods just made sense for Mm -hmm. us? Not only because we love leather metal as materials, but also the function of bags and carrying your things and helping you move from one place to another it just made sense for the lifestyle that we were living at the time and that we wanted. So at this point, you guys are living together in Brooklyn. Is that you found the place and she moved in? Moya found the place, actually. Oh. <laughs> I'm familiar with Brooklyn when we found our apartment, but Moya had grew up in and around Brooklyn and Long Island. So she actually introduced me to the neighborhood that we moved to, Flatbush, like where we eventually moved to. And I was tired of paying rent by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Single woman, really trying to hustle and keep it together in New yeah. York. So we started looking for apartments together and found this like really dope two bedroom apartment. Wow. So at this point, when did you guys have this moment of like, all right, we're going to do handbags? Now what? I think the moment definitely started for us on a trip that we took together. It was in India. Our wow. really close, yeah, really close friend of ours are from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a yoga teacher training in Rishikesh. And they said, you know what? Instead of coming all the way to South Africa, are you guys coming all the way to New York? Let's just meet somewhere on the map. And we're going to be in India so let's do a friend's trip. So we went to India. It truly was not to sound cliche, like a eat, pray, love sort of trip. It was a life-altering trip. Life-altering, a tipping point. And we went there and I just remember the time that when we got to India, we were on mopeds. Every day was this fun, off-the-beaten-path excursion and us just on the go and just roaming all around on different parts of India. And we realized we really want to be hands-free during these moments of our trip. And we couldn't really find the bags that we were looking for that would allow us to be hands-free. Nothing that's too dainty, nothing that's too overly sporty. What's the middle ground that feels Mm -hmm. elevated, refined, but very practical and functional? Mm -hmm. And we were post that trip on the hunt, searching, searching, and we couldn't find it. And we came across these bags and we said, you know what? We're going to make fanny packs. We're going to make belt bags. We're going to make really well-crafted belt bags. And this is going to be the staple piece that we carry on all our trips. And during that period of our life, we were traveling so many different places all across the globe because we are just curious human beings. And want to learn more culturally, you know, of all the pockets of the world. And we want to do that in style because we're aesthetically driven people and we want to do it in a really beautiful and elevated way. So when we came back from India, we just started brainstorming ideas and creating concepts and sketching and drawing. And we didn't know where exactly to start in building a handbag business. But I remember we bought books. We started talking to all our industry peers because we worked at different businesses and yeah friends with people in different departments and just tapped all the resources that we had from our internships, from our previous jobs and said, hey, can you help with figuring out how to source a factory? Hey, can you figure out 
Where do we find leathers? Hey, can you help us figure out how to create technical design drawings? Tech because, acts and all that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it was in the beginning for us, it was really leaning on our support system, on our community of just figuring out how we're going to put all the pieces together to create a brand and before even creating a brand, creating a product. Did you think you made mistakes along the learning curve? Because one of the issues with new designers is they get the big eyes. It's like you go to a buffet and you put like 80 things on your plate because you're excited. So as a new designer, the typical downfall is over-designing, over-creating, over-spending, buying the best leathers and the best this and the best that. And you pay retail and you, instead of recognizing like all the ins and outs, because all those connections can get you so far, because without fail, you end up making mistakes that you're like, oh damn, that just cost us five grand. That just cost us 10 grand or the first production comes in and it's like a disaster. So did you go through anything like that, that the two of you were like, what have we gotten ourselves into? I mean, I don't think we had a luxury of money. <laughs> I just, I don't think anyone starts something new without making mistakes. You know, we didn't know what it took 100% to be designers. We knew what we had seen. We knew what we had experienced in our professional experience. Right. But a lot of what we were doing was just failing forward, us figuring things out, us learning from our mistakes. I think, you know, one of the things that I am grateful for is I don't think we've ever over-designed as a brand. We started with a very narrow collection. We launched Aja with just two styles. It was really important to us that we while we were figuring out and really becoming more clear about like what it would look like for Aja to expand, we only shared things that we were 100% confident in. So I am really grateful for that. We still have a pretty narrow collection, but we filled a lot with money. I think as an entrepreneur who hadn't had many examples outside of our professional experience of entrepreneurs in this specific space. We have very limited understanding of how much it would cost mm -hmm. to design bags and what we should be spending and even like what resources are available or having access to certain resources when it came to finances. We took our own savings and used our own savings. I think in the beginning, it was about $30,000 between the two of us. Spent that on samples, on mentorship, you know, working with craftsmen to get advice, materials, you know, research and development. Our first launch event for the brand, fully self-funded, we offer pre-orders to our friends and family to really get the first round of feedback that we would ever get on our designs. And our friends and family pre-ordered two styles that we had designed. There were four colorways total so that we could go into our first production round. But we what were, were the colorways? Do you remember? I mean, it was like lapis blue. We called the pink. What did I call the rose? Marrakesh rose, a toffee brown, and then an onyx black. What were the ones that were the most popular? Do you remember? <clears throat> yeah, two styles that were named after the cities that we visited in India. And it was the Shirai and the Anjuna. I would definitely say the Anjuna style. They were both utilitarian styles, but the Anjuna style was a slightly bit larger in terms of like the pockets and the functionality of it held a bit more. So that was the one that performed well and we carried it throughout the seasons over the years. I think maybe two years ago was, or last year was when we dropped it from the collection. Oh, wow. Where did you guys end up figuring out that you could manufacture? Did you do domestically? Did you get your samples made here and then went overseas? Because that's like, how much time do you have that kind of story? I know how sampling goes. Yeah, our first foray into sampling was in New York. We went to pretty much everyone that we could find to understand pricing, but we sampled our bags and our hardware here in New York to start. It's <laughs> <Expensive> an endeavor. <laughs> We eventually moved our manufacturing to Los Angeles, and we're now in the process of exploring Italy and sampling with manufacturers in Italy. Our leathers have been sourced from Europe for some years now. 
Wow. So your bags have been made in LA. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. So then you guys took another road trip to LA and like went down the strip to like meet with this factory, that factory. Because I know there's a handful of them there too that are pretty well known because I don't know, New York used to be such a hub. And then, you know, word gets out that like, hey, I could go to LA and do it cheaper and be still part of the design process. Yeah, I mean, it was helpful to be close to the designs in the very beginning. It was really great for our learning as self-taught designers to be close to the process and to learn about like the different stages that you have to go through in order to get to finished, really beautiful product. And then also be able to like navigate some of the functional challenges that we would have about like, what's the experience going to be with these bags? Because we were so close to the sampling process. So we could go and we could look, touch, feel, talk through everything with our manufacturer. But we actually had a relationship with the owner of the factory that we work with in Los Angeles. And they brought us to their factory in Los Angeles. And I think that we've learned this and everyone learns this as they're building a business, but relationships are everything. And, you know, with quality being such an important part of what we do and how we maintain relationships with our customers, it was important that wherever we went, they understood what our expectations were in delivery. At what point did you guys say, oh, my God, we're official handbag designers. It's time to quit the day jobs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pause moment, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I think for a very, very long time, I can speak for myself. Then I experienced imposter syndrome. <laughs> I, I think it's a, I think as women, we're like, I don't know. I think we're predisposed to be like that. You know, it's like you apologize. You're like, oh, and I also have this handbag line. It's the comma and as opposed to starting with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I feel confident in terms of like, that's what I start with. And I'm very proud of all that we've accomplished. But I would say for like, I don't know, three, four years into the experience, I'm like, I'm doing this. Okay, I'm a designer. You know, because I started in health. I started in health. You know, I thought I was going to be a doctor or a nurse, stumbled and figured out what my love was creatively. And when I moved away from this sort of like business way of operating in in a corporate space and into a designer space, Mm -hmm. it would just came like such a tremendous leap because there is absolutely no one in my family that comes from a creative design entrepreneurship background. So there was a lot to grapple with in terms of my identity as a creative, as a designer, and as someone who is also operating a business. So it took some years. It took some years. And I think that maybe three years in or four years in after gaining some traction with Aja and doing different types of accelerator programs and being recognized within press and the fashion industry, you know, we realized that maybe we really need to focus our full-time energies on the business and maybe that will take it to the next level. And to be honest, I was kind of like forced out of the situation. I was like, let go from a job. And I was like, well, what I'm going to do? I guess that, I guess that, I guess it was decided for me. (laughs) It was decided. It was like the universe said, no, this is what you need to be doing. Focus your energy on that. So yeah, we're still holding on because in the beginning stages and still even now, like the business Spence, it requires a lot of capital. So mm. for a long time, it was me holding on to my full-time job so that I can pump money back into the business so we can keep things afloat and keep things pushing forward. So yeah, it's kind of forced into being full-time for Asha. <laughs> Do you feel the same way? I mean, we have very similar stories. It didn't happen at the same exact time, but I actually got laid off from a job in 2016. 16, at the end of 2016, right before we were preparing to launch Aja, we had planned our launch event at the top of 2017. But at the time I was dating my now husband who was building a production company. He's a director and works in media. And I mean, I had toyed around with the idea of working with him as a producer. I'd supported 
some projects here and there, but never really thought that that was something that I would kind of grow into and be passionate about. But as I started working more with him and then being laid off from my job, then because this happens, right? I'd never been laid off before. Moy and I right. have been once. It's something that, you know, you hear people talk about. It happens. Sometimes companies need to shrink. Sometimes right. shifting leadership and things like that. But Moya and I, we kind of hopped around. We went, we left places when we felt like we'd gotten what we needed to get there. Right, and right, right. Go on to learn something new because we always have this ultimate goal of being entrepreneurs. But when things happen that are beyond your control, it's like the pair of you and the universe has spoken. We choose my jobs. I don't get poached from companies. I don't get laid off. But it was a humbling experience. And so humbling. <laughs> at yeah. the time, my boyfriend at the time was like, you should just come work with me. Like, I know that you're planning to launch this brand. Being a freelancer will give you flexibility with your time so you can do what you need to do for your brand. And so I started freelancing as a producer and then building a production company with my now husband. And that became like my supplementary income while we're launching. So yeah, I've had a bit out in the world all alone, swinging out there, just taking chances for the last six years. But it's been a really beautiful experience, really challenging, but really. Oh, yeah. How were you able between the two of you to grow your D2C business and then start thinking like, should we sell two stores? Should we focus more on D2C? And then that famous Michael Kors collaboration that came like, and what did that do? So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, we actually started in the wholesale space. We have both come from working with brands and then working with, like I worked with uh, one of the largest e-commerce retailers of luxury women's wear. Right. So Net-A-Porte, so we had an understanding of wholesale. We had an understanding, like basic understanding of uh, merchandising and pricing and creating Which a, is a structure. Which so lucky, so lucky. Because that learning curve is steep. Like we were steep. And yeah, exactly. It's, re- it's a really steep learning curve, but we had a basic understanding of what it took for a brand exactly. to work. So we structured our pricing in the very beginning so that we could work at wholesale. And then Moya was able to tap some of her relationships to get us our first stockist. Who was it? It was actually the Standard Hotel. Wow. Um, yeah. So they used to be my clients when I worked at this creative communications agency and we would have a lot of shop events there. And I built a really great relationship with the retail director there. And when we had our first friends and family, first friends and family like debut launch for the brand, we invited like a handful of like buyers and the standard was one of them. And she came and she was like, you know, let's start you guys out in consignment and then see how it goes. And we'll consider a buy. And yeah, we were at the shop at the standard hotel, our very first year of launching, which was really cool because we were lucky. Again, I always tell my students like today's classmates are tomorrow's colleagues. And if you learn early on, to be humble and kind and responsible with everybody you meet. You just don't know where those relationships will take you. And saying like, oh, as a result of that, you were able to invite them. And because you're you, they actually came. Because inviting is one thing, showing up is another. We all know that. So between the two of you as a dynamic duo and the relationships and the hustle and the generosity and like, you know, people knew that you guys were hardworking and good people. So they would come and reciprocate the favor if you presented an opportunity to come to something that you guys did together. So clearly that was the catalyst for people to want more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Super grateful. I think that Ashley and I are genuinely authentic people. Um, I think so. You look I- it. you know when i meet people it's never with the like what can you do for me it's like synergetically 100 aligned in our values how we see the world and that's just how we navigate the spaces that we're in and i think by being just who we are people have gravitated towards that have supported Mm. us and been generous with information and resource sharing. So, I mean, we just wouldn't be here without the community support. How did Michael Kors collab happen? Well, that kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was a really incredible just opportunity that presented themselves. We got a cold email from the Michael Kors team to hello at Aja.co after some years of us having been in the retail space and starting to build our direct-to-consumer business. But we got a cold email that said that Michael wanted to meet us. And we thought it was a joke at first. We thought that- I lied. <laughs> we thought it was spam. And we're like, is this real? But obviously, like, responded very quickly to see whether it was spam. And, and this was during the pandemic, wasn't it? This was during the pandemic. It, it was 2020. 2021. Oh, it came out um, in 2021. It came out in 2022, last year. Oh, it did? Okay, gotcha. Well, it was was January of 2022. It was originally supposed to come out during the holidays of 2021, but we pushed it to January. Good thought. Um, Very smart. Yeah, to make it more evergreen. Well, also during holiday, everything gets lost. So that was smart. Things get lost. You're competing with holiday sales. You're competing with everything that everybody's putting out in the world and we really wanted it to be a special moment. And so did the Michael Kors team and Michael. So it came out in 2022. But in 2021, at the top of the year, we got the cold email. And within two days, we were on a Zoom call with Michael Kors, which was just like, I think that for me was a big aha moment. I feel like before that, I definitely felt like I was a designer, you know, battling with little imposter syndrome. But you know, I'm like, but okay, now you're now you're a brand. Well, I think to be recognized by someone that has so much skin in the game and that is so successful in the design world for us was like, I think a really big boost of confidence and really reaffirming that we were yeah. on the path. You know, and Michael had expressed that he learned about our brand and his research and looking for a brand to collaborate with to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the collection and that he really loved what we were doing and he loved the functionality of our product. He loved that it was unisex and he kind of went down this laundry list of all the things that he he liked about what we were doing. Mm -hmm what he respected and it was just really really refreshing and the two of you guys texting back and forth like oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) i think i kind of got off the call and like screamed like i can't believe this just happened but it was just i think energetically we all just really got along like we actually had like a fun conversation you know, we're joking with each other and really just talking about what we love about design. Um, Can I ask you a question, though, totally specific to this? So <laughs> Michael Kors, big brand, Aja, small brand, yeah. who dictated the terms or did they inform you these are the terms how this partnership is going to work? Like, were you able to push back and say, actually, like, how did that work? It was very much a collaborative experience from beginning to amazing. From the contracting, the back and forth, from the design ideas, like jumping on calls with Michael Kors, going through- Who produced it? You guys produced it or they produced it? They definitely produced. We (laughs) had the capacity to produce at the level that Michael Kors is producing because it was- How many units was it? Do you remember? I think it was about 4,500, maybe like just shy of 5,000 units. Yeah, but it was spread globally. So yeah, where we are now, we didn't have the capacity at that moment to produce at the level of micro cores, but it was definitely a collaborative experience for sure. And it was really beautiful to be able to be in a design call with micro cores, presenting our ideas. And he's like coming back to us with like very specific point of view that we didn't even take into consideration with some of our designs. And it was just like, like what? what was he saying? Like, were you, were you like, oh, I didn't think of that. Well, one of my favorite feedback that I got from him was like, your bag's are very north-south. And we were like, what? I love a <laughs> north-south bag. North-south is my jam. Honestly, I got to tell you, that's one of the things that I love most about your bags because not enough people do a north-south bag. And that's my shit. And I don't have my bag here, but like it is an undervalued silhouette, especially in a crossbody. So I applaud your north-southness. And it's the up, down versus right, left, east, west. And most people say, oh, it's an east, west bag. And I'm like, screw east, west. We've done enough east, west. So (laughs) did he say we need more east, west? And you were like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh. Oh, no, no. 
Yeah, I think he was just more so speaking to like the functionality of the bag. Right. And, like, I would love a North South. For also like the sizing and how it would fit onto different body types. Yeah. So really just thinking about like refining the function of designs that we already had made. So they essentially borrowed designs that were already in our collection. And Moy and I just kind of reimagined the designs and right. re- to create something that was special and specific to my course. In the beginning of the conversation, we were to design a holiday collection that had like metallics and things like that in there. And we you know, to Moya's point, why it was extremely collaborative, because they really did like take into consideration like who we were as a brand, what was important to us and like what we wanted to communicate and kind of our first global coming out as designers. So, you know, we came back to them like we don't actually want to use these colors. We don't actually want to. I was going use- to say but, like, <laughs> metallics is not Aja. Not us. These might be metallic, but the bags are not. So yeah, we're like, we actually want to make something that feels very evergreen, that feels like very classic, that could kind of stay in the collection forever if we wanted yeah. it to. And that people would really come back and remember who Aja was and like what we designed for Michael Kors. So they're like, okay, we'll go away and figure out what we want to do and come back to us. And we had our meeting with Michael where we presented to him what our thoughts were, which was really trying to find a bridge between where our design inspirations come from and the legacy that he's built with Michael Porras as a, as a label. Wild. So I'm sure that had an impact on your brand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that came out January 2022. We're now like, as far as design standpoint, it's like 2024 where you are today based on where that happened and like what's to come? Well, coming off the heels of the Michael Kors collaboration, it, it definitely brought a lot of visibility to the brand. I think that for a long time we've made, we've had visibility in like the New York space, the LA space, various cities throughout the US. So it really put us on a global map because we were in China, we were in Europe, um, I believe we were in Australia. So where these micro stores were globally. So I think that was a significant impact in terms of the brand equity. People are recognizing us more. So that was amazing. But now I think that Aja, when we started, had always envisioned ourselves scaling into the travel space. We've always imagined ourselves sitting at the intersection of like the fashion, but also travel experiences. Mm-hmm. And what we are gearing up for now in the future is like expanding more into the travel space. It's like, what does a weekend or bag look like? What does expanding into the luggage business looks like for us? And creating a travel lifestyle brand that has all these different touch points. So that has always been a dream and goal for us. When we started, like Ashley had said, like we've always been interested in accessories. It was never ready to wear. We never imagined ourselves as when we started with the brand, we're going to expand into clothes, shoes and jewelry and the traditional way in a lot of independent and fashion brand scale. So we're very much on that route right now and having other interesting global partnership conversations, fingers crossed, God willing, we get that. And that will just really blast us off into a new space, which I'm really, really excited to play in. I think that's smart. Number one, travel. There's a lot of money in travel. And especially from the perspective of what the pair of you bring, because travel is saturated, but depending from where you're looking, especially bringing a new voice, your bags, your style, your aesthetic. I think there's a massive opportunity. And I think, again, people get the big eyes in terms of brand expansion. I want to do this. I want to do that. But apparel is so complicated because of sizing. Shoes are so complicated because of science, math, and sizing. 
So anything of the time value of money and the labor you need to put in for the learning curve, in my opinion, is not worth it unless you license it out and have someone else do it for you where you can keep that on. And again, like I did that when I launched my handbag line, I went into traditional bags. I had a solution bag. I didn't know anything about it. It ate up all my profit. And I like, as far as I was concerned, lost time in terms of market share, whatever you want to call it from that learning curve. And after being in something for as long as you guys have to continue on the path strategically, it just makes so much more sense. And I think based on the aesthetic of your brand, I would buy into it and think like, oh, that box is already checked. Therefore, the space for expansion makes so much more sense. You know, I appreciate you see that for us. It, it's been really important for us to be really clear on like the direction that we've been going. You have to be. You have to be. And that's also why we've been expanding very slowly. Like, you know, we'll introduce a new style maybe once or twice a year. We're never going to introduce these big, large collections, especially because we're in bags and it's not really necessary. Right. It's not really small. Our bodies, our silhouettes are, are evergreen and could just be reintroduced to new colorways and new materials. It really gives us the opportunity to like just perfect our design mm-hmm. and then also be really about how we're growing the collection. It also helps with our partners and like strategic partners that we have, our retailers, like really understand where to place us. Yeah. And then I think it also keeps things clear for our customer. So as we're growing, it's really important that we're clear with our messaging. We're in the early stages of developing investor pitches. Um, Well, Mm -hmm. our investor pit, we are going to be fundraising in 2024. And really looking to find partners who can see the vision with us and help us bring it to life. Okay. Well, ladies, this has been amazing. Uh, We definitely need to have more conversation offline. I love what you guys have created. And Aja, I think, has its own identity, which is really, really hard to do. So when you speak to who this Aja customer, I mean, you have a very clear picture of who they are, what their lifestyle, what they eat drink, sleep, travel. And that is something that is so valuable to invest in the pair of you as designers, but also as a brand. So I want to thank you both for sharing your story. How can we follow you, learn more, buy Aja bags? Please share away. Find us on Instagram. It's at Aja, A-S-H-Y-A dot C-O. That is also our website address, our URL. So A-S-H-Y-A dot C-O. We also can be found at Nordstrom nationally and also on their e-commerce website with Saks Fifth Avenue in their men's department and on their website on Shopbop and in some select boutiques around the States. Amazing. Ladies, Ashley, Moya, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the Handbag Designer 101 podcast. Can't wait to see what you guys are going to do next. I know I'm following for sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us, Emily. This was amazing. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review and follow us on every single platform at Handbag Designer. Thanks so much. See you next time.